So we have this story here, this account of what happened in the early church, and uh, we're working our way through Acts. So I have a question for you today. Peter and the apostles get drugged before the authority, and they are asked to stop talking about Jesus. And their answer is, we can't, we must obey God rather than men. Why, my question for you today is, why would Peter and the apostles so blatantly defy the authorities? I mean, think about that. Why would they so blatantly and publicly defy the authorities? You know, um, these were the very authorities that had instructed them not to teach. Peter had been, and Peter had been dragged before these people before. He, he had been ordered not to teach in the name of Jesus, and yet they went out and they did it. It's a pretty bold thing to defy someone who has power to take your life. Why would they put their lives in the line? Why would any of us do that? I mean, okay, so we see this sort of thing in the movies or in TV or we read about it in books about Christians who, you know, defied uh, the, the authorities for the name of Jesus and, and had all this courage. And we read about it, but really, what about us? I mean, would we do it? What would possess them to conjure up the courage that it would take to look an, a, a human authority in the eye and say, I'm sorry I can't obey you because I must obey God. I mean, what would, how would that happen? Honestly, I, I, I think what happens is it depends upon your worldview. What is your worldview? You know, a worldview is a way that we look at the world. A worldview is the way that we perceive everything around us. There are many, many different kinds of worldviews and, and uh, ways that people look at the world. I, I want to just point out two of them to you today. Because when it comes right down to it, this helps us explain why Peter and the apostles did what they did. You see, normally... There, there are, if you boil all the worlds down, worldviews down, I think there are two that I'd like to highlight. First, the, the worldview of theism. Theism is the idea that there's a God. And if we view, if we have the worldview that when we look at the world around us, that there is a God who exists and is active in this world, it, it, it changes the way that we act. Because we understand that there's a, set of, there's a set of morals and values outside of this world. There's a set of things happening that's larger and bigger than us. Someone who has the authority sets the rules, tells us what's right and wrong. And so when we live as, as theists, as people who believe in God, we believe that outside of the sphere of human knowledge exists someone greater than us. Someone greater who can, has the right to set down what is right and wrong. That's, that's a theist worldview. There's also a worldview of, of humanism. And humanism set basically is the opposite. It, escal, it elevates humanity and our ability. And so a humanist looks at the world and, and says, um, I have my own personal morality. Because there's nothing outside of the sphere of this world with which we gather right and wrong. So a humanist says, humans determine this. And, and this is why we get things like your own personal morality. Because you see, who am I to tell you what your morality should be? And if there is no God or, or there is no God outside of our sphere telling us what right and wrong is, then we simply just 
We, si- we simply just come up with our own personal morality. I, I was at one of my kids' uh, Christmas concerts a, a few years back, and of course, we can't sing Christmas songs at Christmas, so we find all kinds of other things. And I'll never forget, there was this one song they sang about their own personal code. I, it was this little tune, I've got my own personal code, I decide what is right and wrong, and I follow my own personal code. It was a very nice song. But I just wanted to scream, no! Like, God, you don't determine your personal code. God does. It's the difference between humanism and theism. Worldviews. Those are two examples of worldviews. There's another, the, the, the apostles were following some worldviews here. Because they were following a worldview that escalated Jesus as king. You see, in, 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 a, in a worldview, if we have a, a worldview of kingship, if we understand that we serve a king, it changes how we act. If we serve a king, we submit to the king. If we don't have a king, then we're our own personal kings, and we do what's right, best for us. One of the reasons that the apostles could stand in the face of the authorities and say, we must, uh, is that going to drive you crazy? All right. Thanks. Friend, I got it. Thank you. There we go. I'm all tucked in here. I wondered what I was stepping on. All right. I love our church. This is awesome. So, um, all right. And if my zipper is undone, would someone please tell me as well? Thank you. (laughs) Um, I once heard of a pastor that preached an entire sermon with his zipper open and his shirt tail sticking out his zipper. So please stop me if that happens. All right. So, uh, this idea here of, of kingship, that Jesus is king, and that's how the disciples worked. And it wasn't just that I'm my own personal king. In Acts, the apostles understood this, that their role in the world motivated them towards obedience because Jesus is king. So last week, we talked about this great scenario, this great, uh, uh, this great text in Acts where we look, and, and uh, there's these amazing miracles that are happening. At this point, uh, the, the text told us last week that God was doing such great things through the apostles that even Peter's shadow, people just wanted to get in his shadow because it was healing people. It was this, this awesome, amazing miracles. And the disciples were arrested and they're told, keep your mouth shut. And then this angel comes in and breaks them out. And the angel says the exact opposite. Go back, speak of this message of life. And this is what got them arrested in the first place, speaking. And what happens next is that the disciples' worldview is about to clash with those who are in charge. Because the disciples are going to stand before them and say, you are not my king. Jesus is my king. And so today, since Jesus is king, I want you to understand that obedience should follow. Kingship, obedience, and fullness of life are all linked. Since Jesus is king, there are some words that we need to talk about today. And, and the first word here since G- is just the idea of kingship. Let's talk about kingship for a little bit, because we're going to see this in the text. We view Jesus through the lens of our 21st century world, and when we read the New Testament, because we're Americans with a, a several hundred-year-old history of democracy in this, in this republic, we it's hard for us to understand what life was like under a king. And so sometimes it's hard for us to see this. Kingship in the Bible, it, it has a long history. 
you'll remember uh, in the Old Testament, sort of the, the quintessential king was King David. David vanquished his enemies. Uh, David was a man after God's own heart. Uh, he had the height of power and influence of the nation of Israel. For a Jew, he was the model king. And, then, and, and David's son took that, and, he exp- and in the time of peace, Solomon expanded the influence of Israel. And so it's this golden age of Israel. When they had a king, and life was good, but Solomon's son didn't do so well, and the kingdom was divided, and it all went downhill from there. And we see this. Uh, eventually, there's, the people are exiled, and the, we see this, this nation state of Israel just sort of crumbling apart, and a few are left, and they're sent to exile, and then eventually, you know, they return back to, to this land that's sort of like the, the old wild, wild west frontier. The height of their civilization was long in the ancient past. And, and eventually, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Romans rose to power, and the Romans oppressed the Jewish people. And by the time we get to Jesus, we see the Jewish people crying out, longing for a king. This led to an intense study of Scripture. When would the Messiah King come? And it led, it led them to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah King? And the disciples understood kingship. The disciples finally, after Jesus died and rose from the dead, said that Jesus had something bigger in mind than just being king of, a, of the nation of Israel. Jesus would be king of the world. The disciples understood kingship. And earlier I asked, why would they defy the local authorities? They did it to obey their king. And Jesus is called king. Other places in Acts and through the New Testament, Jesus is called king. Here he's called prince. Look at verse 31. Um, Verse 31. It says, God exalted him, Jesus, to his right to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. You know, that word prince, can some, some are translating it, some other versions translate it founder or pioneer. The idea is that of this word is, is that there is someone who is royal, who is leading the way, founder, pioneer. The disciples understood that Jesus was breaking ground in something new, and it was royal ground that he was breaking into. Jesus is not our king, a, dem- a democratically elected leader. <laughs> Imagine calling Jesus our democratically elected leader who does our bidding. You know, we view leaders as people who are, ser- who are leaders are supposed to serve the people. We view leaders as someone who's supposed to do the bidding of those who have elected them. Many view Jesus this way. They say, well, Jesus is someone to meet my needs and do my bidding, but let's be clear, Jesus is not our democratically elected leader. Jesus is our king. Democracy was unknown to the world of the Bible. As Christians, it messes with us when we think of Jesus as our democratically elected leader. We view politicians as those we elect to do our bidding, but that's not how king is viewed. The, the British had the idea of divine right. A king leads his people, but does not pander to them to stay in power. A good king was loved by his people, but he did not need to pander to them. Democracy is built on compromise, but a monarch need make no compromises. Democracy is a good thing. 
Don't get me wrong here. I'm trying to set a picture of the difference between how we view a king leader and a democratically elected leader. There is a difference in, in our worldview and how we perceive this. Don't miss this. One of the beautiful things about democracy is, is, is that democracy understands, at least I think at its heart in, in our country, that there was something basically wrong with people. If, if you have a view of people that holds that people are sinful and we're depraved and that our hearts are darkened, you will trust fewer people. You'll trust uh, more people with power, not fewer people. If we exalt one person alone, we understand that their hearts are darkened. But that's why democracy is beautiful because it spreads out the responsibility, as it were, to not rest with one person. But Jesus, his heart is not darkened. Jesus knows no sin. Jesus is our king. He wants our knee, not our vote. Jesus doesn't need our vote of confidence. He doesn't need us on the sidelines saying, Go, Jesus! Woohoo! Go! He doesn't need that. He's king. We don't make him king. He deserves what he deserves is our submission and our action. Our lives derive their meaning and value not from our own ability to determine our futures, but rather our lives derive their meaning and value from our King and Savior Jesus. The disciples understood this, and that's why they could speak so boldly. They were bowing their knee to Jesus. That's a long way to try to, that's a, that's a long way of trying to set for you today this worldview that the disciples had that Jesus was their king, not the people, not the authorities around them. They were bowing their knee to Jesus. The second idea that I want to talk about today in this idea of Jesus being king, first of all, it's kingship, but now I want to talk about obedience. Obedience. Obedience is a nasty little word. We don't like this word. It's, it means that I have to submit my will to somebody else. We don't like that. You know, um, if we look at the book of Acts, look, look here at this passage, verse 21. So the angel breaks them out of jail, right? The angel breaks them out, says, go back into the, into the square, into the temple, preach this message of new life. I, you know, it's really interesting. I kind of asked myself this question when I first got to the passage. Wait, so... Okay, so here's what happens, right? The, the disciples are sent to jail and with the idea that, you know, the next day they're going to appear before the Sanhedrin. Well, the angel breaks them out of jail, sends them back to the temple court. By the way, the, the Sanhedrin met on the temple grounds, the very same place that the disciples were preaching the message of new life. Uh, the irony of this is when they go to the jail, they have no idea that these guys are doing this right next door to them. The Sanhedrin has zero idea what's going on. Why? But, but think about it. The disciples get taken. Okay, they get thrown in jail. The angel breaks them out, sends them back to the temple courts. And then they end up back in front of the Sanhedrin anyway. So if the angel would have just left them in jail, they would have ended up at this very same place that the angel who broke them out sent them to. Why? I mean, that's kind of a big deal, an angel breaking someone out of jail. Why, do they, why does this happen? Why does God do this? Uh, I think it's very clear what, what Luke is setting up, what the angel has set up for us, is that there is this moment 
where the angel gives them a direct word from God. Go and speak. And so when the Sanhedrin tells them, go and don't speak, we see the conflict. What will they do? In verse 21, they go back to the temple grounds. Of course, the Sanhedrin there, the jails, they, they go to break the guys out of jail or bring the guys from jail into the, temp, to the Sanhedrin. And, and uh, to their surprise, it's empty. And, and so there they are right on the temple ground. And, and then in verse 28, look what 28 says. The text says, hey, listen, we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Hey, you're making us look bad. Stop it. Notice how the religious leaders are fighting to hold on to their positions. We gave you instruction. What's going on here? They're flexing their muscles. And the disciples, in bowing their knee to the true king, refuse to bow their knee to another. And so Peter says in this great verse in verse 29, he says this, we must obey God rather than men. The angel said, go and speak. The religious leader says, don't go and speak. The disciples can only obey one. Which one? Today, you need to know that you will bow to somebody. You will. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to talk about obedience, but you will bow to somebody. If you love me, you'll obey my commands, Jesus said. If Jesus is your king, you'll take your primary set of instructions from him. When Clarissa was a kid, uh, her dad tormented her in many ways. <laughs> and uh, one of the ways is if she really wanted to do something, you know, even if it was like, Dad, can I have, you know, five bucks so I can go to the movies? I guess we're old if it costs five bucks. But anyway, uh, so, <laughs> so he would say to her, yes, kiss my hand. It just, <laughs> I mean, I met her 20 years ago. It got her boat 20 years ago. You know, it still gets it today. Once in a while, he'll just do this to her just to torment her, you know. And why did it drive her crazy? By the way, I, I know that the, I can't even joke with her. Like it's, it's off limits, right? Why does that drive so because it's demeaning. It's humiliating. I'm not going to submit and be humiliated by you. You know, here's the interesting. We fight against submission because it is humiliating. Jesus doesn't humiliate us. Jesus doesn't say, kiss my hand. But we should. We should bend the knee. We should willingly do it. I love that Jesus doesn't just force us. He's got all the power in the universe, right? He could just force us. He doesn't. We should willingly do it. When we embrace Jesus as our king, we bow in obedience. And it's just part of following and being a Christ follower is embracing a worldview of Jesus is not my genie in my pocket that I take out when I'm having a bad day and I, and I rub the lamp and he comes out and grants my wish. No, Jesus is our king. And when we embrace him as our king, we bow in obedience. The third word I want to talk about is boldness. When we understand kingship, obedience follows. When we understand obedience, I think boldness follows. Watch. When we understand this in our lives, it creates us a longing to be obedient and generates a boldness to be obedient. 
And this is specifically in evidence in how the disciples shared their faith in a hostile environment. They shared, even though it wasn't friendly out there. Look, look at how they did this. This is pretty crazy. So they're in a hostile crowd. They know these, the Sanhedrin, which is mostly controlled by Sadducees. And the Sadducees denied the resurrection. So the very fact that they were running around claiming Jesus is raised from the dead ticked the Sadducees off. Now, the Pharisees are highlighted in the Gospels, and, the, and you know, they're, they're going to be quick to say some things here. But look at how they talk about the Gospel. They say, in verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead. Another way of looking at it is possibly the God of our fathers brought Jesus onto the scene, like this was all his doing. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. Look at this. Whom you had killed... By hanging him on a tree. That's not exactly friendly language here, right? You killed him. God exalted him to, in spite of the fact that you killed him, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. This is a, a, a really interesting, it's interesting how the gospel is summarized in the book of Acts. So, you know, Jesus was raised Jesus was killed by you. God exalted him. Repentance and forgiveness. There's this idea of restoration. You ever think that you shouldn't share because no one will believe you? I cannot fathom the apostles walked into this meeting going, hey, you know what? They're going to threaten us, but uh, I think what we'll do is we'll share the gospel with them and they'll probably all repent and let us go. And so that's probably, they knew, they knew exactly what they were getting into. They knew they were in a hostile crowd in a hostile environment and it didn't stop them from sharing the good news of Jesus. You ever feel like you shouldn't share because no one will believe you? I was just talking this week to a guy in our church who was, (laughs) was, he was, uh, uh, telling me this story about uh, an atheist friend of his, uh, they, that he, he had been talking to her, and, uh, and he, he had done some sort of professional favor, and uh, at, the, at the end of the day, uh, she said, how can I pay you back? And he said, give me five minutes to share the gospel with you, you know? I thought this was a really cool thing, and so they laughed. They sat down. He took his five minutes and shared the gospel, and he probably thought, She'll, she, she's not going to believe this, but he shared anyway. I can imagine that's what the apostles felt like. But see, when you understand that Jesus is your king, and you understand that with kingship goes obedience, there is an inherent boldness to live like our king wants. Because why? Because the power behind us is not us. It's the king. We have his authority. I mean, it's beautiful. Why were they bold? Because they were on a mission to be the church unleashed. Boldness comes when we desire to please our king more than we desire to be liked by people around us. Do you, you know how hard that is. I mean, we, especially as uh, I think in our culture, we, we, we tend to be conflict avoiders and we just want everyone to think we're awesome. At least I do. You know, I like to run from conflict and I like people to just tell me I'm amazing right? Uh, So that's the sinful dark part of me. We like this. We do not like to create trouble. 
But boldness comes when our desire to please the king is greater than our desire to be liked. I don't think anyone expected the Sanhedrin to convert, but they proclaimed Jesus anyway. They did it boldly. And when we make Jesus our kings, he gives us the boldness to live obediently. What does this look like? Well, I think obedience, bold obedience, looks like a couple things. First of all, it looks like every opportunity to share Jesus. Every opportunity you can to talk about Jesus. So I was visiting with another uh, lady in our church, and, and she was telling me she really struggled with being obedient. And, and so I was in this conversation with this lady, and this la- she said, this lady was telling me that there's got to be more out there than, than there's got to be a God somewhere, but I don't know who he is or what that means. And, and she was telling me, I was so frustrated. I, so, I felt like a failure because all I could say was, there is a God. His name is Jesus. And I said, That's not a failure. That's a success. This is good stuff. You shared about the hope of Jesus. There are so many ways, friends, which we get to live bold obedience to our king. One is just speaking the name of Jesus. One is living in gospel with each other. When we do this, when we do community well and right, like the early church, like we've seen up till now, the first five chapters, we're boldly declaring that the gospel works in our lives with each other. Obedience means living the gospel to others who don't know Jesus. It means that we fight for justice and we care for the forgotten and we love those who are left behind. And we meet the needs of the hurting because we declare that our king loves the hurting. Kingship means bold obedience. There's one more word I want to talk about today from this passage. And it leads right into kind of what happens next week. But verse, the very last word, we are witnesses of these things And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Don't you love this? When we have a faith in our king, when we express faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells us immediately. And then the Holy Spirit fills us. He fills us as those of us who are believers in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the power of, to live obedient, bold lives. We embrace Jesus as our King. We find a boldness, and the boldness comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift. Do you know that God gives you the strength to do what He asks? Some of you are facing tough decisions right now, and you have a decision to make. Do I do what's best for me, or do I clearly go with the nudging of God in my life? Do I trust him that what he is saying is what's best for me? The power behind bold, obedient living is the power of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. He dwells in us. He works with our conscience. He speaks to us. And the application then is that God gives us the strength to do what he asks through the Holy Spirit. And I love this. I love how the Spirit, for those of us who believe in Jesus, for those of us who embrace Him as our Savior, those of us who say, He is my King, the Holy Spirit is with us. Um, 
last week, not this coming one, but the week before that, uh, I was just having a really bad, awful, no good day. You know those kind of days that it just seemed like everything went wrong. I was in a lot of conflict that day. It was hard for me to think and get my head straight. I kind of knew some things where God was nudging me to do some things, but honestly, I was so frazzled. I just didn't, I didn't even know what I was going to do. And it was just hard for me to think that whole day long. And so, um, that afternoon, I had a chance to, uh, to work with a local musician. I, I, we just kind of had a little worship jam session. And uh, I was working with Holly and, and Jay and Pete came in. We just kind of wanted to see uh, and just kind of have a little worship time with her. And so at 5 o'clock on that Wednesday we sat down for an informal worship jam session, and, and she picked a song to play, the Matt Redman song, Blessed Be Your Name, you know, and, and I was just thinking of that, and I was thinking of the lyrics, uh, and I just, I was sitting there, and I was wrestling with all this turmoil, and then the lyrics I was singing hit me, blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. You give and take away, the bridge that song says. It's right out of the book of Job. You give and take away. But my heart will make a choice to say, Blessed be your name. There was something that happened as we were singing that song in my heart. There was something that happened because of the prompting of the Holy Spirit where I was able to relinquish this stuff to my king. And say, what matters right now is more than just me trying to figure out what works best for me. But there was this kingship moment where I said, no matter what, Jesus, you are my king and I will fully submit to you. I don't know. It was bizarre. I, I haven't had a moment like this recently where like this, just this burden lifted from my soul as I entered into him again and worshipped my king. And I made some decisions right then to be obedient. And there was a boldness and courage that I got from this. This is how the Holy Spirit ministers to our soul and he empowers us to obediently and boldly serve our king. It was Jesus-centered and it righted my worldview at that moment. So I would ask you today, is Jesus your king? Or is Jesus your democratically elected leader who serves you? Is Jesus your king? Do you desire bold obedience? Will you embrace the Holy Spirit? Allow him to help you do just that. Is Jesus your king? Would you pray with me as we close? God, today, Lord, I thank you that just like the disciples had the courage to stand and proclaim submission and obedience to their king, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd give us the bold courage to boldly be obedient to you. Let us be like that. Let us obey God. We long to be part of what you're doing. 
We long to make you our king. And God, right now, some of us just need to repent because we know that at the end of the day, you haven't been our king. God, I repent. And Lord, I embrace you in a way that's beautifully submissive to your will. And we do this. Lord, let us have the courage to live out, to live out and proclaim your kingdom to all those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.